This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. And those are some boobs, by the way. Mackey and Judd. Uh, <laughs> on 1500 ESPN. Uh, I mean, those shots he's getting, those aren't big man shots. Those are guys like uh, a seven-foot guy shooting fadeaways against little guys. He's got to get in the gym. First of all, I like him a lot as a person. I like him a lot as a player. But he is so limited offensively. Uh, he's got to get in the gym, man, and work on his game this summer. Big Cat had five points. No, he didn't. He yes, had five he points, ten rebounds, no, two of yes, nine. Yes, he did. He needed, me to, he needed me to second hand, Jack. He only had five. Same okay. misprint. Same number of field goal attempts as he had in uh, in game one of this series. I couldn't even come home if I had five <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Like, Look, I know you got a big house, but sleep outside. <laughs> Honestly, I... I mean, we knew that this is the problem. Like, all the, the the people who felt good after that Nuggets victory to get the Wolves into the playoffs, and, like, you and I celebrated it for what it was, but, like, we all knew what was coming, right? We all knew, maybe not to this extent with Towns being this bad, but you knew this was a freight train Rockets team that was going to beat you in four, maybe if you're lucky five the games. Town, the Towns dynamic is the only thing that surprised me at all. Yes, the rest of it is yeah. not surprising. I thought he'd be better to, uh, it's, it makes me think, less of him in the short term and that he's getting embarrassed so badly in this series, but it doesn't mean that he's not a really good long term or even like a really good current player. Like I'm I'm still like I told you two hours ago, I'm still buying long term uh Carl Anthony Town stock for sure. Should we play this clip from yeah, Zach Lowe though? So Zach yes. Lowe has a podcast in which he goes he does deep dives, interviews, talks about uh the inner workings of teams and like he he's an X's and O's guy, but he's one of the, the smarter basketball analysts in the country right now. And he started talking about the dynamic between Carl Anthony Towns and his game and what people in the front office and in the organization believe. And there's some conflict. Let's listen to this. It's the most fascinating question of the playoffs so far and one that is clearly the subject of some internal disagreement in Minnesota. Um, and that's not just reading public comments. That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Tibbs gets asked after the game. He goes into his stuff about, you know, Cat's got to be more active. Cat's got to want the ball. And that's definitely an issue inside the team. Like, they don't think, for all of us who are screaming about, why are you not posting Cat up? Post him up. They don't know how much Cat wants to get physical down there time and time again. And look, it's, it's hard work. Like, you see it with Braun. You don't think Braun could get a layup or a dunk every single time posting up Bogdanovich against Spade? He knows he can. He just doesn't want to do it. And so you want to you, you hear that kind of stuff and you read Tip's comments and you want to say okay cat's got cat's got a tough hump a little bit. And then you watch game 1. Like immediately. You, this is a playoff series. This isn't a back to back in February. They know Houston is switching everything. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it all year. Almost every matchup. They did it against us four times and they scored 9000 points in four games. <laughs> we know what's coming. Switch. Cat's got Harden on him. Cat's got CP on him. Whatever it is, the switch happens, and Cat is immediately jogging over to the corner. Immediately, every three out of four times. It's not like he goes down there and posts for a second, and then you know what? I want to do the same more. I'm going to get out. It's immediate jog to the corner. To me, 
that has to be the game plan. That has to be from the coach on down. He's being told to do that. And the only reason I can think of is we we like the idea of attacking the other end of the switch. We have a fast guy against a big guy and then kicking out to our best shooters for threes. And who are our best shooters? Cat. It, to me, that's coaching. Whether you like it or not, that looks like coaching. Interesting. Yeah, and all right. So if that was the plan, that that was the idea I ran past you a couple weeks back if they played Houston. Clearly, it's not working. I get that. I'm not anti that plan. And yeah, okay, it didn't work, and it, it'd be nice for, for him to post up. But I do. I wonder how, how much of what Zach Lowe said there is uh, comes from potential internal strife with this team about what he wants to do and how to use him and what's being asked from him on a consistent basis as far as what they want him to do. Well, let's let's go down this path of maybe if, if they feel like optimal strategy in those first two games, which clearly like should be thrown out the window now after game two, but. If they thought, well, to keep up with the arms race, I mean, Houston just has so many three-point shooters, and like we don't really have that many. Towns is our best, him and Bielitsa, but Bielitsa doesn't play very many minutes. So, you know, let's uh, let's get those, let's get a switch so that Jeff T can blow by a big man and kick it out to Towns, and you know, maybe he can knock down a few threes. Well, you're also then marginalizing your best overall offensive player by having him stand in a corner all night, and and that was more of a game one thing than a game two thing. He actually had nine shots in the first half of game game two, and most of them were dumb fadeaways from fifteen feet or a couple three pointers. This brings me to to the other contrast we didn't talk about in the nine o'clock hour between the Rockets and the Wolves. So both teams, sometime in the middle of the season after the All Star break. We're scouring the waiver wire and looking for additional depth off the bench and and supplemental complementary pieces. The Wolves reach for Derrick Rose, who, for my money, is the worst type of player in today's NBA. A volume scorer who can't make threes, mostly a ghost on defense. And at one point, like he could he was so good before the injuries at just getting to the rack and like he he would he would energize or bunny you out of a game and he was that good. He's not that guy anymore, though. I mean, he'll show flashes once in a while. So the Wolves, in desperate need of defense and three-point shooting and non-ball-centric players who can fill various spaces in and around Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and Jamal Crawford, they opt for maybe the worst type of complimentary player. A guy who doesn't think he's a complimentary player. A guy who is looking to get his shots off. And a guy who's barreling into the lane and into defenders and getting his shots blocked. Mm -hmm. And also a guy who is probably just trying to make up for lost time. Like, in his mind, hey, I'm on the court. i got to take a shot. Every-. He's averaging like a shot per minute. So instead of adding a three-point shooter who can stand in the corner and stretch the defense out, you put Towns in the corner because, well, he's our best three-point shooter. Let's, I guess let's marginalize him and just have him stand but, outside but the arc. Had, yes. Right? Yes. Meanwhile, the Rockets, also in search, middle of the season, for some bench depth, just some, some complimentary pieces, to put around Chris Paul and James Harden, mm-hmm. they go out and get a guy like Jail Green, who understands his limited role. He's a very good corner three-point shooter, 38 or 39% for his career, and, and doesn't need the ball to get offense. So I almost feel like, I told this to you and Doogie last hour, Gerald Green would have been a better fit for this team 
because he could have stretched the defense and filled the role that you wanted Towns to fill in game one. But, your pre- but your president of basketball operations wanted wants to sign and wants to bring in the, the people that he knows, regard, regardless, regardless of fit, regardless of fit or, or the fact that they're well past their prime. This series, by the way, the cat angle is slightly disturbing, and I, I get it sort of new, and so it's sexy to talk about and break down. This series does nothing, zero, to change my mind about the very concerns of this team. Like, this doesn't—the cat struggles in, in the two games don't all of a sudden have me saying, oh, oh, you know what, that's the problem and not this. Yeah. If you watch this team all year, the concerns that you have when, when this series is done, likely on Monday night, should be the exact same. Carl Anthony Towns is going to, de- to develop, and I think he will be absolutely fine. And I think that these four games will probably help him in the long run, and he'll, he'll be more effective if and when they make the playoffs next. But these four games aren't going to alter one bit the fact that this team, in my opinion, while improving, and God bless them, they did something that the Wolves hadn't done for 13 years by getting to the playoffs, still has a lot of concerns, and they remain the exact same concerns as when the ball went up in the air on Sunday in Houston. Yep. It's the same thing. Yeah. They're, they're like, the good. cat thing doesn't change my view one. Yeah, like, but they could, even if we think Tom Thibodeau is an imperfect coach and leader and, you know, Towns needs to get better in this area, they, they could help so many of these deficiencies with just better roster construction. So it's it's crazy because... By adding Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson, the roster is a lot better, and they went to the playoffs. But because the rest of the roster is so flawed, and they've got so many ball-centric guys who are just, you know, they just they've they're, they've sort of capped out with this with this particular collection. This is about as far as they're never going to beat Houston or Golden State or you know if they were in or the any, East or Boston. Any in team a series, that does right? what those teams are I mean, doing. Yeah. Watch how many times, like when you watch Game Three, yep. make a mental note of how many times when the Wolves do move the ball, which isn't as often as they should. When they do move the ball, watch how often a guy in the corner or a guy on the wing will will be wide open. If it's not Towns or if it's not uh, you know Jeff Teague, it's guys who can't make that shot. It's it's Taj Gibson from too far out or Tyus Jones who just doesn't really knock down threes at a high clip or Derrick Rose. It'll be like oh Bing 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 and oh there's some good ball movement. Oh it's Wiggins shooting the three. It's to the wrong guy. Oh it's Tyus shooting the three. And for the Rockets, Bing Bing Bing. It's Ariza. Bing, yep. bing, bing, yeah. Gerald Green. Swish. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. Do you think, and I, and my answer to this is no, but do you think that Tibbs has the ability to adapt and adjust at all? Because if, if he can't, then you're right. Then it's capped out. It's not going to, nothing, nothing is going to change. If you, Tibbs is stuck in 1995. It's that simple. And if you don't think he has the ability to adjust the game and look at what Houston and Golden State are doing, and I'm not even saying that you're going to get as good as they are, but they are doing something that's definitely right and very 2018. If you, if the answer to that question is no, then I don't see how you go forward from here at all. So I actually do give him a little bit more credit. Like I think, I think it's pretty obvious what this team needs an influx of. It's better defenders who are more energetic and just more willing to, or just more more better able to put a body in front of someone or rotate when they're supposed to and shoot threes. I mean, it's very obvious what the deficiencies are on this team. So if he, I think he sees that, and there's probably going to be some roster tweaks this offseason. Do I think he's the guy that's going to max out Carl Anthony Towns' potential schematically or just as an empowering coach and leader? No, I don't. I don't. My guess is he coaches one more year. 
the burnout factor continues for everyone around him. Yeah, I was going to say. And the buyout More becomes less. Like he's not a long, he's not a 10-year guy. When he signed, I thought it was, I just, I was, it's like top well, five most wrong I've ever been doing this for a living. I thought Tom Thibodeau was going to be, he would learn from Chicago, and this is an amazing hire. And well, as he had just out, gone through the it's tour. Fine. San Antonio yeah. and Boston and seen those teams. It's work, better than like Kurt Rambis, but where it's I not am, good. Where I am a thousand percent guilty is as the guy who's always said you should never have the coach run the roster and run the team and be the GM. Yeah. And I've been saying that forever. And I just said to myself, well, in this case, it'll work. Yeah. Well, actually, like that if, was really dumb. If they were to, if they were to strip him of president to basketball operations title, and put someone in the front office who actually had a mind for modern roster construction, and if Tom Thibodeau, this is a big if, were able to be okay with that and yeah. work well with that person, but those are a lot of ifs. Like he clearly has work in Chicago, right? So, anyways, all right. Let's. Uh, if you want to chime in on the Wolves, I mean. Maybe we can take some calls later in the show. We're pretty packed with guests. Let's get to some questions next year with Dave Harrigan. What do you got for us? I've got one on the Wolves to get you. Also, uh, back into Jose Barrios' big night last night. All right. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Ready or not. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. Roy Smalley in about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so to talk. Twins, Twins Indians, that 16-inning game from late last night. And uh, Dave Harrigan has put together a mock schedule. What if you nailed it seven hours before it gets released here? What I if, assume I did. Is this a spoiler alert situation? Oh. I did a mock schedule last year. And I didn't have a whole lot of success. I nailed about three or four out of the, the 17 Who? total weeks, including the bye. Who started this? You or Reavers? Reavers claims he's now on his third year of mock scheduling. Wow. I don't know whether that's true. Right. So perhaps he did. I know he's going to unveil a mock this afternoon on the ride with Royce. And last year he was very successful. So full credit to him for nailing well over. He did like 11 or 12 weeks. He nailed I don't know if it was specific to, you know, it's a Monday night or it's a Thursday night, but at least as far as the opponent, he did very well last year. Or did he just do 11 out of 16 correct teams that they were facing? And that's like, a good point, too. Didn't look up possible. that those already yeah. exist. But uh, So we'll do that later in the show. We should also mention uh, tomorrow, write that down. Listeners, don't forget to get your write that down predictions in. Like Owen, who sent us one yesterday, also mentioned how much he loves the show, listens every day, specifically to stuff and questions. Wow. So, yeah, uh, to Owen and Boy, the two now, of you. Now Dave's cousins are emailing the show. <laughs> You're welcome. I, All right. I deleted welcome, that boys. one real quick, so I could forget that he liked those two segments so much. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, everyone should hear questions, so go ahead. Question number one. Yeah, it's about time they get to hear it, as opposed to the last two days. Uh, Wolves, let's just say they get run out of the gym the next two games, three games, whatever it is. It's over against Houston. They're out of the playoffs. We look towards the offseason, and Tom Thibodeau's still hanging around. He's still the man in charge. So put yourself in the head of Timberwolves brass, Tibbs, Scott Layden, you know, even Glenn Taylor, and you're looking at the, all the offseason moves you can make and changes to the roster and maybe changes to the way you play or the the you know front office, whatever it is. Give me that top thing when you list them all one two three four on the timberwolves to-do list write it down on the grease board in the mm. front office uh conference room what is number one on the timberwolves to-do list for this offseason uh I, i've got it and i'm, I'm trying i, I want to bring the actual tangible evidence here and uh it's it's three-point shooting 
It's three-point shooting. In fact, here it is. Three-point makes this season. The Houston Rockets made 600 more three-pointers this season than the Timberwolves did. Now, 600 more? Made 600 more three-pointers than the Timberwolves did. (laughs) Oh, my. Surprised it's not more. So that's 1,800 points. What is 1,800 divided by 82 equals 22 points per game. And and the, I think the difference between when those two teams play each other because the Wolves are bad at defending the three too, uh, so it's actually worse when they play each other. But just like in general, the Wolves start every NBA game with a twenty-two point deficit in the three-point category. Yeah, but how many more twos did they make than the Rockets? Think about that. I have that right here, actually. Uh, the Timberwolves made the most two-point baskets of any team in the NBA. Dang, congratulations! They're so yeah. good. At, they're so good at getting two-pointers. If this was nineteen ninety-four, they'd be. Hand checking and kicking butt. Yep. Now, Love me some mid range game. Now it's got to be a two part addition though, because your offense wasn't like your offense, despite being clunky and antiquated and mostly two point based, it was one of the top five offenses in the NBA. So and it was fairly efficient. But I think three and D. It's got to be guys who can who can spot up, shoot threes, and and can at least play reasonably respectable defense. You're not just running around like Derrick Rose getting thrown off. <laughs> Derrick Rose got thrown into the first row last night by Chris Paul. It might have been an offensive foul, but it's like, dude. At this rate, he'll be like, back, too. Like, put up some resistance, <laughs> for God's back. sakes. He'll be so at training camp. I think you got to say goodbye to Derrick Rose, Jamal Crawford, and maybe another one in there and fi- just find a way to replace those guys with more, less ball-centric 3 and D players. The three-pointer uh, is probably a good starting point, but since Phil gave that one, I will give you this one. Andrew Wiggins. I explore all possibilities when it comes to this young man's future and where he might be a better fit. I remove Glenn Taylor from the equation and say, Glenn, if I'm running the basketball operations, I am. You're not. Let me do my job. So you're going to tell the owner and what to I, do now. Yeah, I'm going to tell him, sit down, be quiet, <laughs> and we're going to explore our, our options because your little sit down with Andrew certainly got us nowhere when he looked you in the eye and said, you mean for millions of dollars? Do you want me to play hard? Of course, Glenn, I'll play hard. And Glenn said, that's all I need to hear, kid. Thank you very much. And then Wiggy went and didn't do a damn thing. So I am going to explore my options because I, I'm convinced that you can find a team or two around this league that's still going to say this guy is going to be a phenomenal talent, and I will take that contract, and I will give you back something of value. So I am at least looking very hard at trading Andrew Wiggins after the season. Level uh, scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not concerned at all, 10 being, oh my gosh, this is going to be a complete meltdown. Your level of concern about Jose Barrios performing in a big, big spot before last night and now after last night. Uh, before last night, it had come down quite a bit, but I would say before last night, going into that game, for instance, it was at about a 4 or so, and now it's exactly where it should be, a 1. I thought to myself, all right, he's playing in front of his family, in front of his friends, in front of a crowd that loves him. And two years ago, he would have gotten out there and thrown the first pitch to the backstop, and it would have been a complete mess. And it's not because he's not good, but two years ago, he just put, he applied so much pressure on himself. I thought that had gone away. I wasn't sure, though. So I would say going into last night, it was a four. And now. The development of this guy, I'm telling you, this is a guy who is a who is on track someday to win a Cy Young and be a clear-cut ace, so it's down to a one. I 
Love this guy. Yeah. So I I, I thought of for to represent the ends of the scale, a one being zero concern, a ten being sound the alarms. So one being like Madison Bumgarner in a big game, and ten being Mike Pelfrey in any game. I would say <laughs> I'm saying I it was probably in the middle somewhere. So like a five or maybe even a six in big spots. And now it's not a one, it's not Bumgarner, but I think he's got every tool in the in the toolbox. I it's like a two or a three now. He's a Kershaw. Kershaw's later like a, innings are Kershaw's could be like a five. He's like a five in those big games. Kershaw, big game. Yeah, he starts sweating profusely. He's like closer to Pelfrey than Bumgarner. Ah, he was better last year in the playoffs. <laughs> well, he always got hurt in late innings. I'll still take Kershaw. <gasps> oh, that's the wrong sound. Effect. We'll try that one instead. Uh, Stuffing questions are like intruding on each other. Mix up right there. Well, the the two most popular segments on the show. I can see why they'd (laughs) want to merge like that. The Division One Council of the NCAA voted yesterday to approve the sale of alcoholic beverages at all D1 NCAA championship events. Wow. That decision decision should become finalized when the uh, board meeting closes sometime next week. Apparently they've been experimenting at the College World Series, both softball and baseball, and now they're ready to move forward, boys. That includes everything, right? Yes, all championship events. So, like, crew. My question is, how is this not a thing already? How have we still been hanging on to this? Are we still worried that college kids might have a... Better chance of getting something to drink if they're selling it at these events, not knowing that they all have nine flasks tucked into their socks and sweatshirts. Like when Mary, I mean, breaking news when Mariucci, which I don't think you can, can you buy drinks at Mariucci still? I'm pretty nope. sure you can't, right? Not unless you're in the suite. Yeah. No. Well, you just buy, you a, you buy a Diet Coke and a flask. I mean, it's not that what? hard. Just, that let, what kids just do? let people drink. I had no idea. Yeah. It's happened. Shocking, yeah. I know. If it's they go, news. which they don't now. Did you know that? Sometimes there's underage drinkers inside college bars, too. Fox 9 is on the scene. Yeah, t- shockingly, it was hockey players. I never saw that coming. Yeah, and journalism students, and volleyball <laughs> players, and baseball players. All you need to know is this. It's the precious NC2A, right? NCAA, it's all about amateur athletics. Until it's not, because they're on the take themselves and are a bunch of crooks. But we want to we wanna put it out there, right? That we are that we are amateur athletics, that in amateur event you don't serve beer and you don't do this and do that that's why dave harrigan we until yesterday still had not gotten to a place of saying yeah you know what we'll sell beer that's why the ncaa is just a fraud so, of an so organization you can go to like the big tent like the ncaa golf championship we're going to swimming go get i'm going to swimming out. now just get completely just get blasted yeah <laughs> jump in the pool dive already was that what you would yell oh i'd oh yeah i'd be merciless at swimming Except I'd start sweating indoors like that, too, because the swimming pools are hot. And then I'd be drinking and sweat. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. It'd be ugly. Yeah, we could go to break at any time. Okay. <laughs> Play the sounder, the off-the-track sounder. Thank you. What more do I need to do? <laughs> All right. Roy Frederick Smalley III <laughs> will join us to talk baseball when we come back. Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad. It'd be nice to see these two come together and uh, try to work something out here. Mackey and Judd. I mean, all we're getting is yelling from both, and it's the yelling and shouting doesn't accomplish anything. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. <laughs> Miguel Sano, deep to left, and we are tied! Oh, he did! One, two, back up the middle, that'll do it!
it. Brian Lamar's third hit of the night wins the ball game for the Twins in the 16th inning. And ends a marathon that has taken us from Wednesday into Thursday. Roy, when are opposing pitchers going to learn you never intentionally walk someone to get to Ryan Lamar with the game on the line? <laughs> Boy, that young man is uh, some kind of uh, hot right now, just in a really, really good place uh, mentally and with uh, his belief in his uh, approach to the plate right now it's it's really fun to watch good for him yeah he's uh and, and he's been grinding out in the minor leagues for so long he's had a couple cups of coffee in the majors but and that, and we'll see what happens with him and maybe at some point zach granted is up and the magic carpet ride ends but it is reassuring if you're looking for reasons to uh to praise the twins front office when they identify a guy kind of out of the blue and say hey i know that uh all you fans and media think that these three guys are competing for a spot. We're going to put Ryan Lamar on the roster, and he contributes like this in April. You know, he has a uh, – yes, you're right. Good for them uh, for uh, recognizing you know potential talent uh, there. Uh, but, you know, it was just a very, very good fit, too. Uh, he can play uh, the outfield. He runs well. Uh, he's a good defensive outfielder. And as or most importantly, he's right-handed, and, and uh, they – you know the extra right-handed bat uh, who could play defense very well was a was a, a good gamble. So the Brio start, Roy. I said to myself because I, I went to the game a week ago Thursday against Chicago, and he pitched fantastic. He, he was great, and I said, okay, the start last night. I'm curious because this goes back to a couple of years ago where he would have a start, and you could tell he was mentally psyched out and I thought uh, he's pitching in front of friends and family and if there's ever going to be a time that that comes back it's going to be in this game uh he was phenomenal uh, and unless you tell me that I should slow down here I am all in this guy to me is is on track to be not just the twins ace but a true ace in baseball and he's getting there very quickly yeah I I'm all in too uh, I I I have been since last year and you guys know that uh, i've said many times the only thing that and as a matter of fact said uh, during that uh, white sox game uh the it, it, he just overmatches hitters and and the only thing that can get in his way is going two and oh and three and one you know walking guys and, and then giving guys a chance to hit two and oh and three and one if he's pounding the strike zone with uh, with his three pitches uh some hitters are going to get hits uh sometimes but just not enough of them can get enough hits enough times uh, if he's uh, putting the pressure on them with strike one uh, all the time and and uh, pitching ahead in the count. If he's if he is even to ahead in the count for against every hitter every game, he'll win 20 games with that with that stuff. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm all in. And your point is a good one about I don't think psyched out. I just think amped up. He he would get. Uh, excited and uh, his his delivery motion would get ahead of its uh, of itself and his mind would be way uh, ahead way racing and he said last night that he was he, he was trying to calm himself down when he came out in the interview after seven innings he said you know I tried to calm myself down but I just couldn't well that's as big a statement right there and as big a step as you can possibly have with him for because being that amped up last year would it would have ended in very well, but probably would have ended in disaster. And uh, not last night. He was fantastic against a team that, as you know, can really swing the bat. He's issued one walk, and he's faced some good lineups so far too. I mean, he's faced some 
some Hall of Fame caliber hitters already this season. Robinson Cano, he's issued one walk. I want to ask you something from a, from a hitter's perspective, uh, a new term or phrase that I've heard in the last, I don't know, probably just the last year. So we know we, we've heard launch angle recently and, and exit velocity and and spin rate when it comes to pitchers. Another one that I've heard a lot of is is pitch tunneling. So my interpretation, and you tell me, it, it, if a pitcher is able to repeat the same arm slot and the same arm speed, and and then you might have three different pitches that come out of that same rocket, it makes it much tougher as a hitter. Is that have you heard pitch tunneling as a thing? Because it's definitely something Twins pitchers have been talking about since Falvey and Levine took over. I have not uh, heard that, that term, I, I, so I, I can't comment on what pitch tunneling uh, means. Uh, when you first said that, I immediately thought about what I tried to do against a guy that was throwing real hard, or, or, when, uh, or when I got two and zero, and especially three and zero, three and one when I was when I was hitting. I, I tried to make the spot where I wanted the ball very, very small. It had to be like uh, a tunnel that if it was outside that tunnel uh, to me, I, w- I wouldn't swing. Even if it was a strike, I wanted the exact – I got real aggressive uh, assuming it was going to be in that tunnel. So that's – and I think that's the way most uh, good hitters treat, you know, being you know way ahead in counts. Uh, but I don't know what it is that relates to pitching. I will say that your description of three different pitches from the same arm slot with the same arm speed is devastating to a hitter. I mean, that's exactly what pitchers are, are trying to do. That's why Frank Viola fastball changeup was devastating. That's why Johan Santana fastball changeup was uh, devastating. And, you know, when you get a guy that can now three pitches like Barrios coming from the same arm slot, then you know, you're you're awfully tough. So if that's what it is, I'm in total agreement. As much, Roy, as players uh, like their routines, how tough is this when you when you get snowed out for, what, three consecutive days, off day, travel to a different site, you play two games and, and are off again today. I think the grand total from Thursday to Thursday is going to be two games in that time. How tough is that when when you don't you know you, you can take batting practice all you want but you're not playing in games you're not facing pitchers uh, I, I would take it at some point in time you, it gets to be pretty difficult. It's really hard. Um, pitchers are ahead of hitters coming out of spring training uh, anyway, mm-hmm. so they go as hard as they can for five or six innings. The hitters haven't you know completely found uh, their their groove and their routine. Uh, night in, night out against uh, big league stuff, and the pitchers are always ahead a little bit early in the year. And then for the pitchers to be ahead and the hitters play two games in in seven days, that's that. I think that's why you saw the low scoring games that you did. I mean, the the Indians stumbled into a to a couple of home runs uh, the first game, uh, but uh, basically uh, the pitchers are uh, are ahead, and pitchers are way ahead of Twins hitters uh, right now. It's a big win last night i mean really really big to split with them uh in a situ- in the routine or lack thereof that they the twins have been in and for the pitcher pitching staff to to hold them in there until they finally got that that win that was i i it's one of those one of those games that was that was really big the one at home when they uh blew a big lead and then came back and won was i thought is one of those games that we'll we'll look back and say 
that was that was really big, and I think last night's was too. And and would you agree this team is still at the point where like they can use these reference points, so they can use the positive reinforcement of taking two games from the Astros and 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 beating a uh, a Cleveland team that's throwing Carlos Carrasco out there, right? I mean, that's I mean they still need that validation, I would think. Uh, no question, they they and they have a great uh, character and personality for being as young as as they are. I think we saw that last year, but they're not so salty vetted yet. <laughs> they're not salty veterans enough uh, yet where uh, this isn't significant to them. These kinds of wins aren't significant in terms of continuing to cement that uh, their belief in them in themselves. Uh, about being a good team and beating, being able to beat good teams. So yes, I agree. Hey Roy, if uh, last night's game, uh, let's just take the example of if it had gotten to the thirteenth, and it was still tied, and we're going, and Major League Baseball had said we got a new rule now that puts a runner on second base because we're going to try to expedite the, uh, the conclusion of this game. What would Roy Smalley's reaction have been to that? Well, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot. To that you know that my initial reaction is not to like it you know being being the uh, old school guy that I am but I do also recognize uh, that uh, you know I want uh, my game to be to be appealing to to people and and it, it, if it has to change somewhat with the times uh, then uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna listen um, I, I think there are problems with it um, like uh, what if uh, in the World Series in 91 you put a runner on second base when Jack Morris is pitching the 10th kind of kind of thing? I, you know, I wouldn't. And I think they brought up on television last night there have been some no hitters and you know you guys take into the into the 10th and they're still out there uh, or shutouts and they're still out there. So I mean, I, I think there are some some indications where sometimes where you'd say ah, this is, this doesn't seem right. On the other hand, um, people don't want to sit through 16 innings, and I, I don't think for the most part. So I, I think he, I, I think we have to we have to talk about that. Maybe it's something you you tweak for the regular season. I mean, like hockey lets overtime run as long as it needs to in the postseason, but in the regular season they're like, all right, let's let's wrap this up. People have, you know, kids have school and it's a Tuesday night, but not not when it's playoff season. No, not I agree with that. Not not playoffs, and and um, I think it's. I think during the regular season, I think it would be it would make sense to to talk about some of those things. It would add some some real big excitement at a time at a time when, you know, for fans, uh, at a time when there isn't a whole lot of excitement uh, after you know dragging on for a while. So, you know, I, I think we have to talk about those kinds of things. Hey, Roy, I, I tell you, I would I, I would like them to make a rule about uh, relief pitchers having to come in and face more than one batter, for example. Uh, you know, to speed. I think that would speed the game along and be, you know, just as managerial, strategic as, you know, something like the double switch in the National League. If you're really into watching managers, manage. yeah, for sure. I mean, you'd save a pinch hitter for a mandatory at bat or something, and then you can, you could get the uh, the leverage. Uh, hey, last question for you, and I guess we I probably should have asked this with ten minutes to go, but whatever. How much work do you think Joe Maurer has to do to be a Hall of Famer for sure? Like what? How, where do you think he's at in that conversation? Yeah, let's talk about that when we've got ten minutes. Okay, <laughs> that's no. Let's do it. Let's talk about it next week. Let's yeah, we'll save it for next week. Let's talk about it next week because I, I, I it, there are 
there, there's a lot of conversation about about that to be had about that because of how intensely great he was he was uh, for so long and and the numbers that he put up in a short period of time and then having to move to first base and what does that mean so I, I think I think there's some discussion there. okay we'll put it in our back pocket thank Good you Roy call. great stuff. See you guys. All right, Bye. Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North. One week he tease. He saved us from ourselves there. It's we, a one-week tease? Yeah. It's the longest that tease a, in the history of the show. That was a dumb question to ask with like a minute to go. I was just like, I want to get his thoughts on it, but whatever. We'll do it next week, and uh, we'll flush it out. All right, uh, let's come back, react to a couple things that he said about uh, our twins, and then at the top of the hour, not only has Stephen A. Smith now gone on a Carl Anthony Towns rant, Deadspin has a written rant about the Timberwolves. So the na- the national media is watching what's happening, <laughs> and it's 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 the same reaction we've had watching the Wolves this season, which is what the Deadspin what one is, is definitely right yes. Yes. All right, Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Different guys. Uh, I, they're least, very different. At least the little bit of the personalities I've seen. Yeah, uh, they, they're, their they're, personalities they probably are... don't go out at night together. <laughs> Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Save the date for the fourth annual Town Ball Classic returning to Target Field Saturday, May 26th. Presented by 1500 ESPN and the Minnesota Twins. The day kicks off at 10 a.m. with the Class C game followed by Class B and Class A to wrap up the day. All the games broadcast right here on 1500 ESPN. And if you're wanting to go down to the ballpark, that's easy. Just $10 gets you in for the full day of ball proceeds from the event. Benefit the Twins Community Fund. For more info or to purchase your tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. One, two, back up the middle. That'll do it. Brian Lamar's third hit of the night wins the ball game for the Twins in the 16th inning and ends a marathon that has taken us from Wednesday into Thursday. I think we didn't we also have an Oakland game that went like 14 innings yesterday. Yeah, White Sox and A's. That was higher scoring. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like 12 11. To 11, right, or something like that. Yeah, that game was. I am I am so torn right now because Roy Smalley gave an answer that I agree with, and it just flies in the face of everything I've always believed to be true about baseball. But he's not wrong, and baseball. I and when the idea of putting a guy in scoring position on second base, uh, in at a certain point in extras came up at first, I said that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's just stupid. But when Roy Smalley's like, "Yeah, you know what? I want people to, to like my game." He's not wrong. In every other every other sport has some sort of a timing mechanism that helps you end the game quicker. Or in the case of hockey, where it could drone on and on for three overtimes. In the regular season, they say. All right, let's let's save the the triple overtime drama for the postseason. Yeah, we can't. Yes. And let's just find a way to end this game in a quicker fashion. In the NFL, they actually have they have ties yeah. still at the end of a, a, now it's a ten minute overtime period. So Done with OT, it's over. You know, baseball is the only sport that doesn't have a timing mechanism, and so you could like in last night you could score you could because it's not sudden death, right? Like you score on the top of the whatever. 12th, and then Sano comes back and hits yep. a bomb, and now you're going back. Yep. So I, I would be okay in the regular season if you did something to get rid of, like, the 16-inning or to make it less likely that that, that, that happens. And here, here's a baseball problem, too, when it comes to attempting to draw younger fans to your game right now. If you watched the Wolves game last night, playoff game, it started and ended all within the time the Twins game was played. 
So the twins started. It started I, like an hour I think after. It, yeah, hour I think and a half, I think hour? the twins started at six o'clock in Puerto Rico our time. Six ten right? versus what eight thirty forty or yeah. so. Wait, so so the twins were going for two and a half hours before the wolves started. And we're still and going lasted after the game. Yes, but my but Amazing. that's my very point. My point is, if I want a, a eighteen year old kid to say baseball's really cool, that's a good sport. I can't say, but hey, here's the really cool part. Wait till the game goes 16, and within the confines of that game, a basketball game will start two hours after the baseball game started, yeah. and still be going. And let's and it's a regular let's face it, like game. we romanticize in hockey, you know, for the playoffs, rightfully so. About hey, those double, triple overtime games where there's chips on the table, and it might be a game six or a game seven, and goalies are standing on their heads, and there's no commercial breaks, and you never know when the game's going to end. You got to pay attention because it could end at any time. That drama goes out the window when it's the Phoenix Coyotes and the St. Louis Blues on January 20th. Oh, right. Yes. So yeah, you're just like ended already. So save, save that 16 inning drama. You could almost preserve it to be more special during the ALCS or it's the World Series and the Astros and the Dodgers are in the 15th inning and you never see games going to the 15th inning yeah. because there's a mechanism that prevents that from happening in the regular season. Like I, you could make the playoffs more exciting and add another layer. Because holy crap, like you got to flip it to NBC Sports Network. It's in the third overtime right now. You wouldn't believe it. And there's an elimination component and involved. If a World Series game goes 18, that's actually sort of cool it's, then because it's, it's never legendary. Seen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But I think baseball, when it comes to unwritten rules and, and ways that, that we have thought about the game for years and years and years, they might not sit well. With me initially, but I think we have to be open to changes, and mm-hmm. and I think that that includes a Twins Indians game in April, not going sixteen innings. Yeah. Here's another question that uh, a couple people have posed to us, just watching the Twins first three weeks. Logan Morrison, who did hit that ball fairly hard, it was an error on Kipnis, but at least he put it into play, didn't strike out, and eventually led to the Twins winning. He's batting 068 right now. He has three hits in 44 at bats, 50 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. He actually only has 12 strikeouts, so he's put he's putting the ball in play much more often than Miguel Sano is. But at what point do we start to panic a little on Logan Morrison? I'm not there yet. I think he's there's going to be a month where he hits 10 bombs. Like I, I just think this is this is what you're going to get with a guy like Logan Morrison. It's going to be feast or famine. Did you see the the attempted bunt with the shift on? I, I yeah. believe. Okay, I'm out. I apologize. Well, you can practice I never, bunting. I never should have asked for. That bunt looked like it looked like you tried to tell a guy who came down from Mars, "Hey, try this, try this exercise. Bunt against a major league pitcher." He's holding it like a pool cue. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what am I? I can't bunt. No, that was as ugly as it gets. But like, but I'm not that concerned you, about. Well, no one's asking him to to revamp his swing. But can't you go into the batting cage I, for two hours and learn how to bunt the ball down the third baseline? I mean, like, really, I. I'm not trying to minimize the but, difficulty of making contact with a 95-mile-an-hour moving two-seamer. I now, like, I now at least understand why with the Astros uh, shifting him drastically in the series here, he didn't attempt a bunt. It's risk-free for the for the defenders, it appears. Yes. Uh, and then, like, after he whiffed on the bunt attempt, he was talking to himself. He looks miserable right now. I feel bad for him because he, he doesn't like the cold weather, and he's getting mostly just, like, blizzard conditions in Minnesota. Uh, you know, he's he had his first big season really ever last year, and now he's off to the slow start with a new team. He's trying to impress his new teammates. I think he'll snap out of it. He's making more contact lately, and he'll start to hit balls over outfielders' heads at some point. But it's, it's not time per- to panic. June, yet. perhaps. 
Yeah, that would It'll be... It'll warm up a little bit. He'll have a good June. Yeah. Not time to panic yet. It might be time to panic on the Wolves, who are down two games to nothing to the Rockets. Stephen A. Smith has now chimed in with a Carl Anthony Towns rant. And uh, Deadspin also. Like, the national media kind of ignored the Wolves all season, and now they're asking the same questions we've been asking, which is W-T-H or F. Tom. Let's talk about that when we come back and uh, get Matthew Collar in here. We're going we're gonna to mock schedule before the show is over today. Mackie and Jim.